Hey, this is Jake. Thank you for clicking on this episode of Decision Space. Before we jump into the show, I just want to let you know that this episode is a little bit different. I was very fortunate to be able to record live in person uh, with a couple of very good friends about our shared passion of kickball. Uh, so if the audio quality isn't as great as normal, I apologize for that. Uh, I did the best I could. I think it is very listenable. Uh, also, there's at least one curse word that slipped through, uh, so please be aware of that, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place between the turns in your favorite games. My name's Jake, and today I'm joined by two co-hosts, Angela Finch and Simon Skinner, Uh, As previously mentioned on another podcast, two of the best kickball players in the world. (laughs) Uh, Maybe Uh, Angela, not (laughs) Today we're going to talk all about kickball and the decisions therein. Let's just start out by uh, maybe our guests can can introduce themselves a little bit. And uh, I guess if they want to refute the best kickball player in the world title, that's on them. But I would disagree with that. So um, I started playing kickball in as an adult in 2005, although I remember maybe going to South Park 2004 and playing on a team, but 2005, I played for Mad Greek. Just a friend of mine worked there, and he was like, hey, man, you want to come play kickball? And I was like, yeah, sure. Showed up to South Park, it was on grass, had a great time, kicked some home runs, and then left. Um, so I've, I've played since then. I played on that team for six years, and then in 2012, I changed teams to Wildman, won a championship with that team, and have been on that team ever since. And we've had two championships, and we've been in three total. And that's in the Lawrence, Kansas, Caw Valley Kickball League, which we're all partial to, and and all three of us play in. And then you've also done a little bit of travel ball too, right? You won at least one kind of mixed uh, tournament? I so I've never won a tournament in three six five. The furthest I've gone is on on an availables team, which is like when you kind of mix players from different teams. Uh, I made it to the final four. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had really long hair back then, and and I hit a home, like it was like a grand slam or something. It was maybe. a grand slam, I and. Think. Uh, Someone people on the people, were, people were like, who's that chick? That They're just like, that chick can kick. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's my claim to fame for that. Um, but I helped. I was on the, the coaching staff for one of Angela's teams that have, have won a championship. Yeah, so, yeah that counts. Awesome. Yeah. And definitely one of the players here in this league that probably strikes the most fear into the hearts of outfielders. Um, for sure. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Angel, how about, how about you? Um, I started playing kickball in my adult life in, I think it was 2013. I'm having a hard time remembering how long, how many years I was on Channel 6 to start. Um, but I believe it was four or five seasons. And then I joined Love Garden with Jake for a season, which was awesome. I learned a lot from him. Um, and now this is my second season with Kansas, or third season, sorry, with Kansas Street Care. Um, and then I also do traveling kickball as well. Um, and they, we do have a women's league, so it's all women instead of doing, like, local here. It's just co-ed. Um, so I have four women's championships. And 
a lot of Final Fours and Elite Eights for co-ed and women's. That's a lot of rings. And I, I know you just recently got back from Denver a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And did win that tournament? Yes, we did win. So that was the first one since I'm back-to-back now in, that, in tournaments. So San Diego in 2020, right before everything shut down, and then um, Denver 2021. One of both of those. That's awesome. And for people who are not tuned in to the kind of the national kickball circuit, these are really competitive tournaments with people flying in from all over the country, super teams of of available players. Um, And it's, it's something crazy to see. So to win so many is insanely impressive from where I'm sitting. Um, and, and for myself, I've been playing in this Cobb Valley Kickball League since, I guess, I think one year maybe before you, Angela. I think 2012 was my first year. I played on the worst team in the league, the Astro Kitty Comics Space Pussy, yes. as we were called. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was clerking at the comic book store at the time and, and found my way onto that team. Uh, we didn't win a game, but had a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I was recruited to a better team the year after that as is tradition for uh, a, a lot of the kind of lower tier teams. And I've been playing on Love Garden ever since, taking, I guess, one year off last year. I only played one game. And this year, thanks to remote work and, uh, I guess, just my own kind of insanity, I've almost been commuting back and forth from St. Louis for, like, about half of the games. Lots of commitment. <laughs> uh, and it's been a lot of fun. All right, so what we do on the Decision Space podcast, which I'm sure you guys are big fans of and listen every week, so you already know, Mm -hmm. uh, we like to give the games that we review a rating out of 10, and then we do a little slogan. Uh, If you didn't prepare a slogan, don't worry about it, Uh, but... Let's see. Let's let's start. Angela, do you want to give us your ratings for kickball out of 10? Um, my rating for kickball is 10 out of 10. And I, <laughs> I don't know how many people would just stand in line to pay to play kickball. But when we travel around for circuit and I mean, even the local league, I think there's, you know, some fees to play. Um it's, I think it's a big deal. I mean, I love playing. I've met so many people and it's become such a big part of who I am and my identity and being able to continue to be competitive, you know, post a competitive, you know, career and track and field <clears throat> and other sports. So, um, I love it. There's ups and downs, but like with anything, there's going to be, uh, what about you, Simon? I mean, yeah, I give it a 10 out of 10. I, and I think that's a, a lot in part due to how great KVKL is. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't know there's 36 teams. I mean, that gives you like over like 400 friends instantly, basically, or 400 people that you know, they might be your enemies. I don't know, but it's a very good like community thing here. Um, I think it's unique. Um, There might be some leagues that are, you know, similar as far as rules and maybe like community, but ours has to be the biggest by far, you know, as far as its impact on the community. I would agree. I mean, when when we were, I was in Denver, um, you know, Lou, my boyfriend, he drove back so that he could play local league. And a lot of the people playing, you know, and watching the next day, they were like, where'd Lou go? Said, I said, well, you went back to play local league. And everyone was like, why? Why would you drive <laughs> back and not stay in Denver and go play in local league? And I think people don't understand how big the community is and what kind of weight it has. Um, and also... 
you know, I posted a video of the game of the week and I got messages from four different kickball leagues asking when they could host a tournament, a traveling circuit tournament or TNS um, in Lawrence because they look at that and they see, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's that many people that play kickball in one city. So I think it, it really impressed people like on a national level that I that I talked to saw that. Totally. Yeah. Just hearing y'all talk about KVKL and how special it truly is, like gives me chills because I just, I just love it so much. And I'm gonna let's I'm gonna give my rating for kickball. I'm gonna sweep it with a ten. That makes kickball <laughs> officially the highest rated game on the Decision Space podcast. Wow. Uh, I you know there I love board games and uh, and you know sitting around a table playing friends having playing with friends having that great kind of interaction, but to do that on a field where you've got 15 people in each dugout, you're all engaging the same kind of thing. It's just such a heightened experience. And, you know, to, to have the mental aspects of it that we'll talk about here in a second, but also to bring in like the physical aspects of like, can you execute your plans through your like physical ability? It just makes it such a heightened experience for me. So I love it. Like, you know, there's, I really have a hard time of thinking, about anything that I would really rather be doing than playing kickball. For sure. Agreed. Um, did you want me to yeah, read let's, review? Yeah, let's hear the slogan. <laughs> okay, so I came up with a slogan since uh, Jake asked me to. So, um, kickball, visually stunning and action-packed, adult kickball is a perfect dichotomy of entertainment and cringiness with its flawed, often self-appointed heroes and misunderstood villains. You'll be left both discouraged and hopeful by its reflection of human nature. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, the reason I wanted to bring the sport of kickball into this kind of space that's primarily been about tabletop gaming is partly because I love it, I'm passionate about it, but also partly because as I engage in kind of the tabletop gaming space, mm-hmm you see a lot of people like throwing around like the terms like sports ball and kind of like dis disparaging, even going as far as like disrespecting people who really enjoy playing sports. And I think that kind of, you know, maybe goes back to like middle school or high school, like kind of like nerds versus jocks mentality, which is definitely Mm -hmm. going away um, over time, fortunately, which is good. Uh, But I think that kind of lingers out there and, just for me personally, I've always loved playing sports and I've loved, like growing up, I played soccer super competitively and Magic the Gathering super competitively at the same time and really (laughs) viewed those things kind of on the same spectrum of Mm -hmm. games. And I really think you can sort of trace, you know, a a through line from a board game like Settlers of Catan, maybe to like a video game where you're doing a strategy game and you're incorporating some amount of like uh, muscle memory like with your fingers and and there's some athleticism there and then to like something like pool which is like a strategy game maybe involving more of your body you know straight on down to track and field or basketball or baseball mm-hmm. um so i had the idea we talk a lot about in board games about like gateway games like what's a game you can introduce your friends and families to to maybe get them intrigued with trying board games as something they were they might like mm-hmm. and so i was thinking like I think kickball might be the perfect gateway sport for somebody who maybe didn't grow up playing a lot of sports, uh, but, you know, might be interested in it. 
So that's sort of the frame that I want to go into this conversation with is kind of thinking about, you know, how might somebody who's familiar with games on like the tables top side things uh, kind of be brought into the world of sports and, and have fun playing kickball, even have that background. So that was sort of my concept. And I really appreciate y'all for joining me for this conversation. Of course. Yeah, thanks for having us. I, I think that, you know, kickball derives most of its, you know, strategy from baseball. And baseball really is, like, has to be one of the nerdiest, like, sports balls, you know? Like, I mean, think about that movie Moneyball. It was all about this statistician who was just, like, he basically solved the game by, like, just looking at the numbers, you know? And, and baseball is, like, such a strategy game. And I think kickball, it carries over to kickball. Um, you got to play all nine innings. And... It's like you mentioned video games like Battletoads, man. Like you, once you lose your life, like you're done, you know. And like so, you have to <laughs> each inning you have to keep progressing, and it's just so hard to get past that hump, you know. If you're, you know, trying to beat a top team or win a championship, you know. Absolutely. And did you know this is just a random Lawrence fact? But the guy who invented Sabermetrics baseball lives in Lawrence. From yeah. Lawrence. Yeah, I've heard oh. that. Yeah. Is he still here? Do you He's know? still here. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. My. Uh, my dad actually, this is a super random tangent, but interesting. My dad used to, he like dropped out of high school and worked in a, like a bean canning factory. Uh-huh. And he said it was like a great job because like they could basically like do whatever they want and like mess around like him and his friends worked there. Uh, because the guy who was like in charge of supervising them, like wasn't ever paying attention to the cameras. He mm-hmm. was just like doing like baseball statistics all day. <laughs> it was that guy. That's so Isn't awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. crazy. You should have invited him. Yeah, we, we'll get him on the next one. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's let's kind of transition into our main topic and sort of talk about some of the decisions in kickball. Um, so let's start with kind of the defense, defensive side of the ball. Uh, So I have a discussion question for y'all, and it's just what is the most interesting decision you find yourself making when you're playing defense? Um, Well, I think on, you know, when you're looking at a team or you're captaining a team, you're going to, you look at, um, you know, where is the best position for individuals, but also how does that work as a full team? the person that you put at catcher may not be your best catcher. Do you put them somewhere else because it's more advantageous? So, and you can make that comparison at any, Mm -hmm. at any level. So, you know, from, from a coaching standpoint, looking at how I'm forming my defense, that's one of the the biggest things I'm looking at. Um, And before you came in, we had kind of discussed how the emergence of having um, male pitchers has on teams has been a kind of a shift because in the past it seems like um, some teams would put a female pitcher there and choose to put a male pitcher somewhere else that they might think this might be better for. Um, and Simon mentioned that he's seen kind of a shift in how some, you know, some positions have been more important than others, you know, and depending on the teams you're playing, that could change. Totally. That's really interesting. Um, and I think we can maybe come back to that a little bit later, but one of the questions, uh, my friend Aurora asked in the discord to pose some questions and yeah. one was like, is kickball kind of solved? And I think sort of thinking about how baseball is typically, you always see the same formations more mm-hmm. or less yeah. teams yeah. are playing the same thing. We've 
you know, over hundreds of years have sort of come to this conclusion that this is the best type of defense. And kickball, like you're pointing out, is there's so much room to innovate. And, you know, even in the 10 years I've been playing in this league, you know, you see historically female positions turn into more uh, male-dominated positions or, mm-hmm. or, you know, in positions where people 10 years ago have been like, oh, we're never going to put our, our female player at first base. It's right, too important. Right. So now mm-hmm. you're seeing more and more people doing that. And, um, yeah, so it, it's definitely, I think, there's a lot of space for innovation yeah, on how you set up your defense. Right. Yeah, and I say, like, you know, with baseball, what they have, what I have seen in recent years, though, is they do that shift now, the defensive shift. So if they have a person who they just know statistically hits to one side of the field they'll mm. double you know double right. up on that side right. and with kickball it's even more important I, I just remember playing a game against one of the like other top teams and the wind was just blowing so far out but into we the into right this field. year and right this year we played you oh yeah that yeah. was yeah but yeah so i'm trying to think though i don't think we shifted our because there was one game where we had where we you act- put your rover behind one. Well, we put our rover behind one. Yeah. yeah. But one time our rover, we made Richard our rover. So one of our our most athletic guys, we had to put him in rover, but behind first base, just because all the balls were just going to the yeah. same side of the field. Yeah. And for those who don't know, rover is like a tenth defensive position right. on kickball. That historically people kind of play behind third base because the third base person in kickball is often running up to field bunts. So mm-hmm. it kind of gives you a little bit of coverage there. Right. Um, yeah, I, that's, I mean, both really interesting points. I was thinking, for me, I typically play in the outfield. And mm-hmm. the thing I find most interesting uh, on the decision is, like, where do I position myself? Because there's such a risk versus reward mm-hmm. where, you know, if you're too far back, you know, you could back up as far as you want and you can guarantee right nobody's gonna kick a ball over your head basically Mm -hmm. um but that's enabling teams and especially good teams who are capable of taking advantage of it to drop balls in front of you uh you know for single after single after single so trying to you know get that risk versus reward just right where i'm playing as pushed up as possible without giving up the big you know, home run kick over my head mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, it's something that I find really challenging and, you know, really interesting and, you know, something, uh, definitely a decision I'm grappling with every time I play a game, depending on the mm-hmm. person. If Simon's yeah. up, I'm going back there. <laughs> yep. uh, but, you know, if somebody else, maybe it's a, you know, if it's just somebody I don't know, but it's just like an athletic looking person, right. where do you play? Yeah, I feel like if there's no wind, um, I tend to play up because, you know, if they can kick it over your head, you you know, it's a rubber ball filled with air. So it's just like, it, if it's going to go over your head, it's probably going to float a little mm-hmm. bit. And if you're fast enough, you can, if you just turn around and start running, there's a chance you can probably catch that. Whereas if they're nickeling and diming you by dropping in front, I mean, you can make those plays where you can just run in on it and catch it if you play shallow. Yeah, I think about the same thing and also... There's an element of difficulty in the execution of, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're too far up and somebody's trying to kick it over your head, there's like a pretty decent chance they're just going to pop, it, pop up. it up yeah. too yeah. high where, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like sometimes, especially against less experienced teams, you can really bait people into like the big kicks. Mm-hmm. We, um, our team would do that. We would actually switch me and put me at center field if there was no one on and bait that kicker to kick to me. Because a lot of times, right. you know, they're not going to be able to execute. And 
kick it over my head. And if they do, it's a single or whatever. Or they might even think like, oh, it's a girl. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. So um, we've Little definitely done know. that in the past. <laughs> do, do you guys think about changing your defensive position based on like the opposing kicker in situation? Is that something you're thinking about as you're playing a game? 100%. So sometimes it's situational, like just like where they're at in their lineup, regardless of who is up. So if they have a runner on first and no outs, I usually, you know, want to put a bump block up there. I'll move my second baseman up. I don't usually shift my rover over because I don't want to give up that chip over third base. Um, but I'll usually push my second baseman forward for that short kick up first base. Um, but then also you just, when you play a lot, you just know personnel. So you know what their tendencies are. Mm-hmm. So like Sarah Riley's on you know my team and she, I've just seen her play. So often so when I play against her in city league, I'm just like, I know exactly where to put the defense. And usually we shut her down pretty well, you know? Right. So especially with, the teams at kind of the top of the KVKL that are playing against each other year after year, right. it becomes like a pretty small pool of players mm-hmm. and people, yeah. you know, you, you get the scouting report for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, so when you're, I think another, just another uh, decision that comes into playing people. So this is like, think about yourself on the field. Um, so the question comes up like where to throw the ball, Right. Um, and I think, you know, obviously you want to throw a ball to, to first base if nobody's on to get the force out or, uh, second base, maybe if you have a runner on first and second, but I think the question becomes a lot more challenging and complex at times because of like a risk versus reward element, right? Do you take the easy out at first base? Or do you maybe try a more difficult throw that you practice less often to get the advanced runner, right? To get the person who's running to third. Um, yeah, I mean, I, do you guys want to take a stab at kind of talking about that? Or how you, is that something you think about before the kick or something you're kind of thinking through on the fly? Um, yeah, and I think this happens, I would say, less in KVKL. Um, I think of that more in like the traveling league where it's more of a bunters league Um, because, you know, it's easier to kind of shift players around and say, all right, you're going to come up first baseline and then go for that at three. But it is a really risky play because if you don't get that out, you've got bases loaded, right? If you do get that out, you've got that out and you don't have runners on, you know, just two and three, which is what it would have been if you used right. their one. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely risk and reward. And I I wouldn't make that decision just on the fly with anyone. It would definitely have to be someone who I knew could execute. And um, But, like, you. Like, if you're oh, playing, me. let's say you're playing second base, right? right and right. you're fielding the ball coming, you know, it's kind of kicked to you at second, yeah. right? And you would got, I ever throw it to three? Well, I mean, like, <laughs> let, let's say, <laughs> oh you, let's say you have a for sure out at one. Yeah. Or you're like, I think I might be able to turn and get the out at two. You okay. know, like, how do you do, is that something you're just like yeah. thinking through on the fly? I mean, or you know, ahead it's of something time? ahead of time that I think about. So, and that comes to positioning. Um, so if like, I play more shortstop this year, but like when I, I'm going really, really shallow, for instance, when no one's on base so that I can 
potentially throw that person out because the further back I am, I'm not going to be able to throw them out. And so the same thing, if I were playing second base, if I wanted to go for the lead runner, I would kind of position my body to be going toward that base, right? So if they did kick it between me and that base, it would, you know, there's more space for me to grab it and then go to that base. So it's definitely a decision that I make beforehand. Um, I, I would say it's pretty predictable that I'm not making decisions on the fly. Mm -hmm. I think when you do make those decisions and they pay off like the, the high risk ones, you, you know, you feel good about it, but still at the same time, I think, you know, I really shouldn't have done that. You know, even though, even though it worked out, like there was a, a play I had recently where I was playing right field and the first baseman was just like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Cause the person wasn't to first yet, but like, I knew they had a runner on third and I knew that that person was slower runner. So I just threw it home. And right. so they were just able to tag them and it worked out. But in retrospect, it's just like, just get the out. It was the third out, you know, just right. get the fourth out. Like what was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that was just me, you know, like in the game where I didn't make the decision. I mean, it's better to make the decision before the play happens. Like if this happens, I'm going here, yeah. this happens, I'm going here. But it was more of just like, oh, I'm going to go throw this person. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to, like, the execution is easier if it's in your head, what right. you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because definitely. as soon as you're processing something different, mm-hmm. you're, like, recalibrating your body. I think that comes up a lot, like, in kicking, mm-hmm. where I feel like my worst kicks, my biggest mistakes, I'm, like, Switch in my head, out. I'm, like, I'm going to kick it to right field or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then just the way the ball comes in, I'm, like, actually, I'm going to pull this down, like, the yeah. left field line. And, you know, in somehow in that translation in my brain it's just gonna go straight up in the air almost every time yeah um yeah i i think my like personal ideology about kickball and this is especially in kvkl is like i generally want the sure out if it's mm-hmm. like a 90 you know if it's 100 percent to get the out at first and mm-hmm. a 75 percent chance to get the lead runner at second like i almost still rather just get the out at one yeah and that's because like my the team that I play on Love Garden and kind of our ideology like lately has been more of like an offensive focus, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't care even if we give up like a run, uh, you know, one or two runs, you know, every other inning or something. Like I still feel like because of our offense, we should be able to like get them back. What mm-hmm. we can't afford is to give up like five or six runs in the inning because right. we don't get the out, and now we have like. Bases loaded. And that's that's situationally too. You know, the more you play, the more you can kind of see like, you know, you're not going to do that and like, you're not going to let them score in the bottom of the ninth, right? So if it's a tie game, you know, you're not going to let them score. Um, And same, it's like, if it's a close game and you're really, really working for runs and it's a high defensive game, like you make different decisions. And I think that those are made before the play happens is you're like, we're going to hold this runner um, and kind of decide as a team. Whoever's getting it, we're not letting them score. Yeah, and I think, um, like, kind of the comparison here to, like, board game is, you know, like, ex- like so we're talking about, like, executing a play after we've made a decision. There's nothing that's, like, a one-to-one comparison to that in a board game besides, like, if you're playing a dexterity game like pool, mm-hmm. right? That would be kind of a one-to-one comparison where you're like, okay, I'm going to try and, like, knock this ball into that one that's my plan, and then you do it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think it can kind of come up in other games. Like like I mentioned Magic the Gathering earlier, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes like the board in that game can get so complicated with so many like complex interactions that like your, your capacity to think through enough steps 
like your brain's bandwidth for it becomes limited. Yeah. And at a certain point you're like, okay, well I think this checks out. So I'm just like going to start doing it. And then right. you kind of get to the end of that sequence of, of actions. And it's like, did it happen or not? That's kind of like, you know, for the people who are board gamers listening, like, I think that's kind of the comparison to this like execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can think through that line clearly, like, okay, I get the ball, I throw it to first base, like your chance of completing it's going to be better than if you're thinking uh, about it on the fly right uh, anything else kind of on the defensive end uh oh okay wait this is a really interesting one i almost okay. forgot like throwing the ball at players is maybe yes. like the thing that's like most mm-hmm. unique to kickball uh, and it's a super high risk reward situation because right. there are situations that come up in kickball if if there's not a force on a runner where your only chance at getting them out is by literally pegging them with the ball, throwing it at them, and hitting them. <laughs> right. I I mean, one of the a recent game was against Muddy, and that's how the game ended. Was uh, one of their players, um, Ao. He's a great player. Um, he, I I think he was at first, and he had to really kind of go deep to get the ball, like on the edge of the grass. And instead of like throwing to first, I think he realized he couldn't make that throw. He just like threw it at uh, Colin Key, who's very very fast running to second just tossed it at him and it just barely clipped his heel and that ended the game you know that would have been like we would have we we probably would have scored a run off of that yeah so it's one of those things where that's very high risk high reward you know if he had missed him he would have been like what was i thinking yeah Yeah. definitely Uh just playing the game it's a play that goes wrong more than it goes right and it's usually impulse like it's you can't predict that you're going to be in the situation to where you can just throw the ball at someone Mm, that just happens at random and you either decide you're going to do it or not. Yeah, you're never, like, to just go back to our previous conversation, you're never thinking they're waiting for the ball. Like, I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to throw it at that person. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? That's never kind of in your head. <laughs> well, especially if, like, they have runners in front of them, you know, on the base path. And, you know, even if you do hit them, if there's, like, one out or zero outs, if you hit them, that ball could fly right. anywhere. Yeah. And then it's just, like, all those other people are going to score, even the ones behind them, you know? So... Yeah, I just, it's always smarter to throw it to the back. Yeah, it's almost always smarter, but there are situations that, right. that like the best, most optimal play to just use like a board person, game yeah. term is to to make that crazy risky throw. And I just mm-hmm. think like that's honestly like I'm so glad that's a part of the game. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like I would never want it to be like removed, Illegal even to, if I yeah. almost never want somebody on my team to, to go for it. Yeah. Right yeah. All right, well, let's move on to sort of offense, kind of kicking the ball and some of the decisions going to that. So let's just start with the obvious one. Where do you kick it? Uh, so, Angela, let me start with you. Like, what kind of thought process, what's going through your head uh, to help you decide, like, what kind of kick or bunt you're yeah. going to try and execute? Um, well, usually, you know, if I have um, – if my teammates – I kick second. So if my teammates on first base, like – I'm almost always in a bunt because right. um, that's why I'm at the two hole. Um, and a lot of times I think about, you know, I could bunt up one, I could bunt down three. So bunting up one's going to keep it away from, from Alex usually and going to guarantee that he's going to make it to two. Um, and sometimes I think like, well, he's faster and I think that he's going to get there. And so I kind of read the defense. Um, a lot this year, it's ended on me having to lead off. And so I always make that decision of, okay, am I going to, you know, bunt in this situation where they they know I'm going to bunt or should I try to just kick a single? And, you know, what are my odds of getting on base if I just kick away instead? So that's usually in the lineup what I end up having to do. It's not 
<clears throat> not too fancy. It's usually the same thing, but. Yeah, I mean, I think you play to your strengths and your comfortability. Like, I think I had my first bunt this season in the game of the week, and it worked out for me. But usually I kick because I just feel like I can hit the gap. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you talk about a game being solvable. All things equal, if you have a perfect defense versus a perfect offense, the perfect offense wins every time because you can hit those gaps, and it's physically impossible for the best defender to get there. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, for me... If you are confident in your gap kicking, I, I don't know. For me, that's that's the better choice than bunting. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. Like, uh, I think there are kind of three competing factors that go into it. Like the situation, right? Like mm-hmm. you point point out, Angela. Like, where are your people on the mm-hmm. bases? If you have somebody on first base, like you don't want to kick it to second base, right? Because even if you get on, if they get out second, you're that's not that's no good. Uh, the personnel on defense, like mm-hmm. sometimes you just know, you know, keep it away from that girl, keep it away from that guy. They're gonna catch it every time or make the play every time. Mm-hmm. So you know, if one side of the field you think is weaker than another, that could come into to it for me. Um, and then yeah, what am I most comfortable with as a player? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I guess like Simon, I've just found that like. You know, people have always, like, it seems like bunting, I always see people execute and it does so well, and then when I try it, it just doesn't go as good, and I'm always like, why didn't I just kick? Like, yeah. I, you know, I'm good at kicking, I can kick it to the spot I want mm-hmm. most of the time. Right. Um, so more and more, you know, I've just tried to be less fancy, more of just, like, kicking a hard-driven ball on the ground to the right. spot I want, because that's that's kind of, like, what I'm good at. Um and I'll kind of use that over the situation, even if the situation is like bunting. I might still just be like, mm, I'm going to go ahead and just try. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's one of those things as a captain, you're like, don't ever do that, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. You know what I mean? Like as far as bunting, it's like if there's no Like out, this is a bunt situation. Yeah, this is a bunt situation. And, and I, I can answer that question for you as far as like why would you bunt instead of kicking. It's just because, you know, it's a rubber ball. It can hit any kind of bump. If you miss kick a, you know, a power kick, I mean, that's like you could, you know, get a double play off of it. You know, you hit it right to the third baseman and you just tags the base. Whereas a bunt, at least you're putting the ball, you have more of a chance of putting the ball in play mm-hmm. and it hitting the ground. And so your runners know the ball's hit the ground so I can run. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you hit in the air at any point, your runners are like, can I yeah. go yet or not? You know? I always tell my team, like, keep getting the ball on the ground mm-hmm. is like getting the ball over the net in volleyball. Right. It's like yeah. you have to execute that mm-hmm. to have any chance yeah. of success. And like once you've done that, you know, it's no matter hands. how poorly it is kicked, like it could be like right to the other person, like mm-hmm. slowly mm-hmm. or smoothly on the ground, they can easily pick it up. Like at least like you're forcing them to make a play yeah. as opposed to just like running underneath it and having it land in their arms, which is like. You know, even if it goes really far into the outfield, if somebody's there, it's still the easiest thing in the world just to catch it. Did you ever experience this on um, on Space Pussy, like where you had players who would like kick it really far, and your teammates would be like, "Oh, that was a great kick," but it would just be caught out on the outfield, and it's like, "No, that's not a great kick." Like, if, if it's an easy mm-hmm. catchable ball, like just because the ball goes far, I mean, you literally accomplished nothing. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do see that, and I also I think I see it like more even in, like, uh, competitive teams. Because, and probably not at this point in the season, mm-hmm. but, like, 
we just the way the KBKL structured, you play uh, if you're one of the top two or three best teams, like Angela's team and Simon's team, you play a bunch of teams in the first five weeks of the season that are just not even close to your level of competition. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those like big long kicks work really well right. because you know the other defense, the defenders just don't know how to read the ball in the air and they're just not getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, at a halfway point in the season, the KBKL switches it up so you're playing, if you win your division, all the other teams that won their division. Right. And like all of a sudden, like none of those things are landing. Yeah, yeah. So you, you know, I, I was, I remember I was watching the Johnny's versus Harpies game and that was maybe like week one or two of the, um, pool play. And they were just, both these teams were just like popping it up in the air, like over and over, like big, long, deep mm-hmm, kicks, mm-hmm. you know, like, wow, like very impressive. Well, and it's, just, like, I, all of them I was caught. talking to Simon about this before you came in. It was, you know, we were actually playing, um, Johnny's and one of a comment that one of their players had said after playing us, they were really disappointed in their offense. And they were like, you know, I don't understand. Like we've been kicking well all year and you know, they just weren't, our kicks like weren't good this, this time. And, you know, I, it's hard for me to say, well, we have a really good defense. Like our outfield's really good. Right. So while like you, you haven't have experienced been, yeah, this. you haven't, you haven't seen a good outfield where you've got three lockdown players, you know, it's like, while those kicks in the past would have landed, they, they didn't land today. So, right. and it's not because they were any different. And they're not going to land next time either. They're not going to land next time. Right. Yeah. We, we also kind of talked about how, you know, we get criticized for sometimes bunting in the ninth inning when we're up. But it's just like, for me, it's more ruthless if you're just bombing home runs over teams that don't really have a great outfield. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's more, it creates a more of an even playing field when their best players are, are in the infield and you're working on your bunting. Meanwhile, you're giving them a chance to field it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's kind of like a, a perennial debate. It's actually something we've talked about, like, on this show, which is like, how should you behave in a game a board game typically Mm -hmm. when you're like much better than the other person right right? like if think about chess like if you're a chess master and you're playing somebody new at chess are you supposed to like let them win are you supposed to like throw away your pieces like maybe there's like some maybe like you are doing as like a teaching exercise Mm -hmm. or something like that but in like a competitive game you know i'm fully on board what you're saying like right. mm-hmm. you should respect your opponent by playing hard and hey maybe after the game you can give them some pointers some things to work on and right you know treat them with respect and right. which obviously i'm sure i know y'all do right um but yeah i don't know i feel like it's more that's just more something people like complain about thing, yeah. like on a kickball podcast than mm-hmm. it, like anyone really is upset about mm-hmm. in the game that's my take anyway yeah all right, what else? Let's see. Let me check my notes for offense. Oh, yeah. All right. So I think another decision that comes up on offense is, like, running bases, like, when to advance. And that is kind of a tricky one, too. So obviously not in, like, a force situation, but, like, in a tag up. Or, yeah, when you're, like, tagging up. So mm-hmm. you know, somebody's popped up. Can you advance? Or... Maybe somebody's kicked a double in the outfield. Like, should you push for home? I think right. that is another interesting decision. And and maybe, like, 
uh, one decision point that I think more than any of these others perhaps like separates like the elite teams from like the very good teams. Right. Um, as far as running, I mean, I think the hardest team to run on is Angela's team um, because their pitcher is so quick. So and that their team is so good at getting him the ball quickly. And so if you have that scouting report, you have to tell your team like, hey, like don't try to get extra bases on this team either because he'll either have the ball and you can't run once the pitcher's in the diamond with the ball or he's going to run you down. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So you have to have that scattering report where as far as like, hey, if it goes to this player in the outfield, they're a great, you know, they can catch really well. They don't have the best arm. So if you see them, if they're past a certain point in the outfield, if you see them, you're tagging up and running. Don't waste that pop fly. Use it. Use that sacrifice. So Yeah. Yeah. As like a noodle arm outfielder, I'm like really used to that. Like, <laughs> All right, go, 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 James, we got it. <laughs> but that, which is also another kind of like... But you're fast, though. That's, you that's make up for it with your speed, so true. you mm-hmm. catch it and you run mm-hmm. it in, which is the yeah. smarter thing to do a lot of times is just literally run the ball. Right. In. And a lot of times people don't realize that even... Like, maybe they're not going to go, like, you're not going to advance when the player catches it, but mm-hmm. then they throw kind of like a looper pass into the pitcher, and you mm-hmm. leave at that point. Right. Like, well, that ball is not going to get exactly. here for a few seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think, so definitely personnel is huge, right? Knowing who's got the ball, who who's going to get the ball, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, arm speed and, like, being able to throw the ball is something that really is, like, a, there's a tremendous amount of difference even from like somebody who's just like reasonably athletic and somebody who can like really throw mm-hmm. um yeah so that's something to think about but also the situation and i think that's another big separator even my team last week um we had like a controversial play at home where somebody tried to stretch a like a i think they were on first maybe they're trying to go first to home on like a double and got called out sliding in at home and uh everyone i didn't actually see the play but everybody on our team felt like they were safe i saw that play with walker yeah with walker and it's one of those plays where if you're watching it because the defender had the ball so quickly and and low your mind at least from my mind is saying okay he's out right but maybe if you slowed it down in like an instant, you know, an instant replay, like there might be a chance where he like Snuck slightly in. slid underneath right. him, like where his leg was just like right here, and the ball's right here, and then his foot that's kind of touched. It's kind of like the, base. the almost like the instant replay thing, yeah. On uh, in baseball with like people like stealing, they go to the slow mo and it's like yeah. they like popped up I off the bag. I one hate second. that so much. But where yeah. it's just like they, it's like a little micro jump off yes. the bag, and the but the right. tag so is still so on. I hate it. But either way, like whether yeah. whether he was safe or out, right. It's kind of besides the point I was making, which was that like we had one out, right? right. So he's, he's gonna, gonna score. Yeah, yeah. He's he just stops at third. Yeah. He scores on the next kick anyway. So that's like, uh, you know, just kind of not knowing the situation. Right. Or, and maybe, you know, even if he knows the base count, maybe it's just like misinterpreting then like what his odds were of reaching safely. Maybe he thought it was like a 95% and they made a better throw than he was expecting or whatever. But that's the kind of thing, uh, you know, that you should be factoring in. Did you tell, so after that play happened, did you talk to him and say, hey, like, next time, like, think about the fact that if you stayed at third, we'd have one out, and we probably would have scored you, or did you just kind of let it go? I mean, dude, it's, you know, Walker's, like, game two Walker. 
<laughs> he's a little bit toasted at that oh, point. Right, yeah, it's yeah. probably not gonna get through. But, <laughs> yeah. You know, but we're, you know, we're talking about it now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like you just use your your podcast as like a passive aggressive way. Like, hey, could you check out my podcast? No. Listen to this episode. Like, <laughs> you know, he's Walker. Walker. You know, he's he could, he's probably been playing kickball longer than like all of us combined. Not quite that much, but I think I've been in the league longer than him. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, all of us combined. Veteran, yeah, veteran, very veteran player. Who's oh, yeah. No, he's great. He also he, was, he, he played Division One football. He was right. a fucking punter, right? Yeah, he was a yeah, yeah football punter. Yeah. Jeez. Played for Mangina, the greatest KU football coach <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Um, what? Okay, so I kind of mentioned that, like, the base running is something I see as, like, a big separator. What decision do y'all see as... It may is that amazing else. Uh, is there like one of these decisions we've talked about thus far that you see as like kind of the biggest separator uh, for teams? Maybe at any level, it could be like separator from teams from like uh, kind of mediocre to good, or or from good to great. Is that too complicated of a question? Um, well, I think you know a lot. Obviously, a lot's going to go into it, but having the optimal defense that you can have because like we talked about there's so many different combinations so being able to find what that optimal defense is and on the flip side what your optimal offense is and I think one of the reasons why our team has been very very successful is that you know we've kept kind of the same lineup for the past you know three years we've had the same players we've had you know a couple people join but they kind of slid right into the role that we had in mind for them and knowing, you know, what what your players are really good at and knowing where they can benefit on defense and in your lineup, I think is big. So that's something that I see from teams that are maybe struggling a bit more is failing to see where, you know, their players are, have the most strengths and how they can help, as, you know, the team as a whole. For sure. And I, I think like minute, the, the better teams minimize the damage and the games that we've lost this year it's just been innings where people are just making kind of boneheaded mistakes and that boils when you're as, as a captain you really have to stress communication and and letting people know hey this is your play on this situation you know before the play happens um because otherwise yeah you have people just thrown all over the place and i and i watched you guys play the ghosts and for example and there was a play where the pitcher she's a great athlete she's the one who bombed it over your left mm-hmm. fielder like she gets the ball, and there's a runner on first and second, and she gets the ball like in the middle of the field, like just in front of uh, the pitcher's mound. And instead of just chest pass to third base, she just throws it to first and like wings it and misses it. So mm-hmm. then it's like you miss that lead runner force out. So I feel like the better teams, it's really those decision makings. And when and when you don't have every player that you know, when you have personnel that doesn't really think about those decisions, it's you need a captain who's just like, hey if this happens, do this. And then you communicate that, you communicate that before the play happens. Yeah. I think the, having a, like a veteran captain is such a huge difference maker for a lot of these teams. Like mm-hmm. I was looking at, I was really impressed by that home loans team that you play. That's like a new uh, team in the league. They oh, have, me too. They have some great players, you know, and I, I like couldn't help but feel like, you know what, if like, if I was on that team and like captaining that team, right. I think we'd be like, in the top 15 of yeah, the league. Yeah, that's actually my stepbrother's team. And they, um, I, you know, I wanted to help a lot, but it was, you know, he was the captain and I didn't want to overstep a boundary and be like, hey, here, here's what your lineup should be. Or here, you know, is like how your defense should be. And I think they really, I think it was good for them to learn because 
it took them seven games to win until they finally won a game. So, you know, they were finally starting to like build that momentum and figure out what was working for them. And, you know, if they're, if, if they do decide that they want to come back, cause I think it was kind of a rough year for them. Um, if they do decide that they want to come back, they're going to, I think be better players for being able to have learned how they got to that point to win, end up winning three or four games. Yeah. Tough love approach. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, and you know, like, so they were on a division and the first time we played them, it was like 40 to two or zero or something. I can't remember what it was, but they literally cut that in half to 20. Um, you know, we, we kind of had a scramble defense or whatever, but the thing is, like, you could you could see the huge difference was is that the guys who were the best players weren't trying to overstep their, you know, their role and, like, try to make all these hero throws. They were just playing within themselves. They were making amazing plays, but then they weren't trying to, like, stretch it out and make another amazing – they were, you know, getting the ball to the pitcher. You know what I mean? Like, just making yeah. more sound decisions, so. Yeah, like, they've seen what happens when they – do the other thing exactly yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely um all right so there are a couple other kind of just discussion questions that people sent in that uh i think we have time to get to if that's all right with y'all yeah all right so i really like this one so this is from joe so how much time do you spend thinking about kickball strategy and if you do spend quite a bit of time on it how do you think it helps you on a personal level and on a team level (laughs) Too much. Yeah. <laughs> Too much I mean, sun- I cannot sleep Sunday nights. Monday mornings are really rough because, I mean, even in, even if we I haven't lost the game, I'm still up in bed thinking about, like, almost every single play that happened, right? And I'm thinking about what could I have done better? You know, where did we go wrong here? And it helps when you're winning. You know, you don't think about that stuff as much. But I'm definitely all the time you know, thinking after each game, you know, rehearsing it through my head and trying to improve on it mentally. Um, do I think it helps? That's how you get great, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Coming um, from a team that hasn't lost a game all year. Yeah, I mean, I think it helps. I, my sleep's struggling from it this time of year, but um, I then I love talking about kickball. That's why anytime I'm asked to be on a podcast, like you asked me to be on a podcast, Simon and I, this is our second podcast this year, and we've done so many together. Um we just love talking kickball. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm very envious of people like Turtle, you know, like where I feel like he just can play a game and then just after it's over, just go, like, yeah, what's up, man? Let's just go hang out. And I'm just, <laughs> just like, going to continue yeah. on with my day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, it's, or I just like call him like, hey, man, we have a game. Where are you at? Oh, I'm just in the Grand Canyon, man. Just, just floating down the river. I'm like, sweet, cool. <laughs> um, like sometimes I wish I was just like that laid back, but no, it's just, like I think about it, kickball all the time and... Um, I, I have a friend, I, so I work at a high school as a speech pathologist and one of my good friends is, uh, was the head soccer coach last year. He was like, Hey man, like, would you be interested in like being on the coaching staff? And I was just like, you know, as much time as I spend on like thinking about rec sports, it would probably be more like beneficial to like help maybe like a, an actual high school team, you know, like it'd be more beneficial to put that time and energy into like the youth, you know, but <laughs> Um, no, instead I'm just stressing <laughs> over. Stressing but you over said it. no. No, I mean I was. I'm, I mean I'm definitely interested. If you, That's if you ask me, but yeah. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I even go as far as to I watch so much film on kickball, and that is like one of the most nerdy things that I do. I will watch old games from like. 2015, 2016, 2017, you know, old You're talking about travel ball. Travel ball, because yeah, yeah. that's where it, you know... That's it, where the footage is. Yeah. yeah. I'd watch KVKL. I would totally watch, K- I would totally watch KVKL if we had more footage. Um, 
but they're not edited down, so it's a little bit slower. Um, and that's just, I mean, it's like any any sport. You want to get better. You watch the other teams. You watch what good teams do. And um, I love that shit. <laughs> yeah, it's been interesting for me this year. Um, so I've been like a captain for, I think, like uh, three years. And then I didn't play in 2019. 2020 was called off because of COVID. Um, and then this year I've been the traveling kickball guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not doing captaining, but just because of, I guess, that sort of uh, position I've had on the team in the past. Like, people still kind of, like, look to me as mm-hmm. a captain in different situations. Yeah. Um, you know, or, like, the actual captains will, like, oh, what do you think about this lineup? <laughs> right. Um, and, yeah, it's, I mean, I think at, like, my kind of game brain... Like, that's where I find a lot of, like, uh, enjoyment, like, trying to, like, innovate and think through new things. Like, you know, I was really convinced that, like, the soft kick to shortstop was, mm-hmm. like, oh, I think I just, like, broke the game. Because right. if I just, like, kick it really softly to shortstop, I just get on base every single time. Right. Um, and then I realized that, like, there is so much room for error there. Because just, like, hitting it a tiny bit towards the pitcher or a tiny bit towards third, I'm out mm-hmm. easy. So I don't even, like, do that anymore, but <laughs> wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> now I just come back to kicking it hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it feels like there's so much room there. And I do think, like, you know, I've, I you know I had, like, my bunting phase where I was like, I'm going to get really good at bunting. I'm going to bunt. I don't really do that anymore. Um, but, like, experimenting, uh, really thinking through, like, the mechanics of, like, how to kick a ball well and, and uh, kind of trying to, like, talk to people to share that knowledge is, is something like that I do because I like to do it. I like think about it. And also I think I get a benefit out of that kind of thought process and, and, you know, workshopping. Like if I'm looking at somebody else's kicking mechanics and pointing and, and like, Oh, I'm able to see like, Oh, I think like actually what's really important when you want to try and kick the ball down, isn't how far your center of mass is leaning over the ball, which is kind of the, uh, traditional knowledge that people pass around and it's really like where the ball is in relation to your plant foot, foot and if sure. yeah if the ball is you know, even a, or behind it it's totally. almost impossible to kick it in the air right mm-hmm. and that's what like when I went back and read that write-up because I had read that before that you when you posted that that's like what I think one of the most helpful pieces of advice just simply put you want your plant foot to be even with or behind you right. and it's you're not going to pop it up now, now I try and wait until, like, I see my knee is, like, over the ball. Like, mm-hmm. the ball's coming in, and, mm-hmm. like, I can't see anymore because my knee's on top of it. And, like, that's when that's I when start my yeah. swing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's been really successful for me. So, yeah, I mean, it's that kind of element of it and, and the ability to innovate and come up with these new strategies and think through, like, the differences in defenses. And we're like, oh, look, uh, KTC is dominating the league again with a male pitcher. Maybe we should try that after... Simon's team like whipped the crap out of us and and that helped um so yeah it's it's been a lot of fun you know thinking through that kind of like team management decisions right I mean that's the thing like we talked about before when you play a team just play them your best because they'll learn from it I mean they will I don't know like you know CJ was probably one of the first like kind of male dominant pitchers and he at the beginning of that season uh 2012 we had a female pitcher and she was kind of there a little bit just more for the social side of it whatever and 
and she, she missed a game while she was gone. We were like, hey, let's put CJ at pitcher. We'll move Richard to third. And we just like, it just, everything clicked. And we were like, oh, shit, we're unstoppable <laughs> now. Like, it went, we, like, we went from the seventh seed to like winning the championship just because we made that change. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if, when you see it and it works, I mean, you got to just stick with it. Yeah. So. It, and it depends on personnel, too. Oh, 100%. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I'm looking through if there's any other kind of questions I definitely want to hit. One of the questions is, are there any kickball variants that you like? So I think maybe one thing that would be lost on the people listening to this podcast is just the KVKL style of kickball, uh-huh. as you mentioned at the very beginning, right? is very different from the type of kickball that's being played in your city or uh, basically anywhere else in the world. Uh-huh. So typically, I think they, what is it, like a nine inch ball is circuit size? Uh, ten, inch. ten inch. It's yeah. ten inch, but I feel like it's more compact than like the walk ball somehow. It's supposedly the same size, but I feel like it's just it seems know, small. Tighter, yeah. 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 And the KVKL one is eight and a half, eight and a half inches. Yeah. So it's a smaller ball, and we don't play with balls and strikes. So kind of the standard is you just wait as a kicker until you get a pitch that you like. Uh-huh. So because of that. People roll slow, smooth pitches, ideally, mm-hmm. uh, to kind of speed the game along. Because right. assholes like me and Simon will just wait there for <laughs> 10 minutes if we have to. Um, it's just being smart. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then the, Optimal play. <laughs> right. And the butt line's shorter than most leagues. So usually the, the, like the defense can't go past from first to third. Like in travel kickball, you can't go past that until the ball's kicked. Whereas in KBKL, it's basically halfway. Um, and the catcher can't move. Yeah. So there are a few differences. Yeah. Uh, I think both are super fun. Right. Um, I love both. Uh, what I do like, and I think this is why the league is so, has grown so much and there's so many people that can enjoy it, is that with, when you don't have competitive pitching like that, it's a chance to really include everyone because mm-hmm. when you look at the really competitive pitching in like a traveling league or, you know, even just different ones that call balls and strikes if you're not totally just dick pitching. Um, it's, I mean, you can, (laughs) you can strike out so easily, you know, it's like, and your odds of just getting on base were removed dramatically. Yeah. Um, plus it's only five innings for those games. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, you might kick one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah. We also play on dirt in most other leagues in St. Louis that I've played in are all on grass yeah. or turf. Yeah. Uh, so that's another difference, which I think is like dirt. I, I like playing on dirt. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you, when you ha- bring in like hardcore pitching where people are throwing like fast overhand, like you mm-hmm. almost have to make that concession to play on grass because otherwise those balls will be coming at like 60 miles an hour or something. Oh, right. Kansas City League, they have... Yeah, they had, so there's a Wednesday league in uh, Kansas City where they use our size ball and there's balls and strikes and it's on dirt. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. And like overhand pitching? Like, uh, I, th- I think maybe... I guess I, I guess I don't know that part of it because... Um, I think that's the difference between yeah. circuit, like 365 and a lot of the other kind of WACA leagues where in the 365, the super hardcore traveling, you can throw it Overhand, yeah. and then the other ones you have to like roll it underhand. You can still roll it like right. really fast and hard underhand. So I, I've kind of gone like back. So like when when I first started playing, everything was on grass, and then we we moved to dirt. I was like, oh yeah, this is the right way to do it. It's very uniform. It makes everything easier. You're not going to sprain your ankle. 
But like as I've gotten older though, I've realized like after playing like tournaments in three six five, like like my joints hurt less. You know, <laughs> yeah. like the grass just gives you like a nice little cushion. And I don't know, there's I I do kind of miss the variety of fields. Like I would love to have because there's there used to be seasons where we'd play like it'd be like the grass week right. and we would all play on grass. And I thought that was really fun. Yeah. And it would like make these upsets happen too. You know, these teams are just like, oh, I don't know how to play on grass. The other team's like, well, we do, you know, like, <laughs> so it would just create these like, you know, variants, which that makes me think of Loki. I don't know if you guys have watched that show. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> all I think of when I hear variants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but I think to your point, Angela, like I completely agree that like, if we think about kickball as a gateway kind of sport, the way that the KVKL does it with like no balls and strikes mm-hmm. um, is the way to go. And I wish that like places could pick up this style of game and at least present that as like an option. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just really convinced that if, you know, I play with some really great players in St. Louis who do the same 365 traveling stuff as with Angela Um and I'm just convinced, like, if they had the opportunity to play this, like, they would have the best time. Definitely. Right? Because, um, you know, you can kick the ball harder and further. You can also, like, do better things on defense by throwing it, like, faster and more accurately. Right. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, like, like get in with, like, the, the kickball movers and shakers in St. Louis. And, like, I want to set up, like, a charity tournament or something to just try it out and see... Because, like you're saying, like, everybody's like, how do we get fans and crowds like they right. have in Lawrence yeah. in this, you know, relatively small town? Uh, 36 teams, you know, yeah. and how many players per roster? It's like, well, maybe yeah. you should try this rule set. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, well, I think that's pretty much it for the discussion questions. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts, any final, like, selling points for why board gamers should hop on the kickball bandwagon and have some fun. Uh, I think that it rewards experience and it rewards creativity. And I think that that's board games are all about. Like once you, you, you figure out a game and you figure out how to like get the basics down, then you can kind of work within those deeper levels, you know, and that's, that's kickball is all about that too. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I've played a lot of game nights with Jake and, um, most of the people at the game night were also fellow kickballers. And so I do think that there, there is, if you enjoy kind of thinking about things in like in odds or situationally, or, you know, just different strategies. I mean, all of that and competitiveness goes into kickball and board games. So, um, I would definitely give it a try and meet new people. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Totally agree with both of you. I think, you know, when I play games, I'm thinking about the same kind of things that we talked about throughout this conversation. Like, so to your point, Angela, like, what is the percentage that if I make this throw to third, I'll be able to get the out versus mm-hmm. this percentage of going to first? Like, what is the optimal play? I'm searching for that. Uh, I'm thinking through creative new lines of play. And I think, you know, somebody who's really good at strategy and tactics in a game is going to be able to apply that to a game of kickball uh you know maybe not in your first game Mm -hmm. but if in you know over time and if you're really willing to like to think about what you're doing out there that can give you an edge over somebody who maybe is even more like athletic uh you know who's been playing kickball longer if you're doing the right play more often that that is really rewarded in a game of kickball where it's really 
you know, it's not soccer or basketball that's just constant play. Like, we are really taking turns <laughs> and mm. just trying to do the most in any one play. That's it. Thank you so much, Angela, yeah. Simon, for joining. I thanks hope you guys for having had us. Fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course. Us. Uh, if you enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more about kickball, you can... Uh, find more discussion about it on our discord with a link in the show notes and uh, we're on twitter and all that so thanks for listening you are now exiting the decision space thanks for listening please take care and enjoy the rest of your game